Science and Wisdom Live is a project of Jamyang London Buddhist Center, a non-profit organization. Please consider supporting us with a donation to help us keep our podcasts and videos free and ad-free. To support us now, please visit our website at scienceandwisdomlive.com. episode is an excerpt of one of our Science and Wisdom Dialogues. To listen to the full recording, please follow the link in the podcast description. So Dr. Van Lomo, Keshe Namdak, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. And I'm very excited to hear this conversation between both of you. And I'd like to just get right into it because there's such deep questions we're contemplating today. The first one's about consciousness, just to start easy. One of the great unsolved scientific questions is on the origin of consciousness, um, the fact that we have self-awareness. And there is a scientific materialist view that all consciousness originates in the brain and has a material cause. And that one day we'll actually be able to prove this. Right now it's it's a belief, you know, I guess it's a scientific belief. So Dr. Van Lommel, to start with you, to what extent do you agree with this kind of scientific materialist view that all conscious experiences originate in the brain? I was raised with the idea, with the never proven hypothesis, that consciousness is a part of brain function. So that was what we learned in school, what we learned in medical school as well. And this cause I've met a lot of people with a their death experience. They share their, their death experience where they had urine cardiac arrest. We have cardiac arrest. We know now, we can discuss it later as well, there is no brain function there. So people lose consciousness, what we call clinical death. Because consciousness have no body reflexes, there's a function of the cortex of the brain. They have no brain cell reflexes, like the dead reflex, corneal reflex, wider pupils. They have no breathing, the breathing center is close to the brain stem. When you measure the blood flow to the brain, it's zero within one second. And when you measure the electroactivity of the brain, the EEG, it's zero flat line within 10 to 20 seconds. And at that very moment, people have an enhanced consciousness with cognition, with emotion, with memories from early childhood, from, with uh, future events as well, uh, meeting disease relatives. And this is totally Im- impossible according to our current materialist approach in science. So that's why we started. It started for me with scientific curiosity that what I heard was not possible according to our current paradigm. It might be interesting to have Geshe Namdak come in here right away and talk about the Buddhist understanding of consciousness and how we might remain conscious when the blood and the brain activity stop uh, in the way Dr. Van Lomo um, is talking about. The Buddhist interpretation of consciousness is, is slightly different from uh, what we have at the present in mainstream and neuroscience, uh, because consciousness is not produced by the brain as such. It has a correlation. We say that consciousness is not matter, right? We have the, mat- the world of matter, but we also have a world of consciousness. So consciousness is a different kind of um, aspect of, of a phenomena that is not considered as, as matter, although it has a correlation with, with brain and with brain function. And uh, yeah, some scientists of the past also have indicated, even Penrose, for example, also indicated that the brain actually facilitates 
consciousness rather than causes consciousness to come about. There's one aspect. And in Buddhism, I think, if you look at the correlation between brain and, and consciousness, it can be two-way traffic. The brain can produce states of consciousness, and consciousness can produce, uh, as we know in neuroplasticity, consciousness can produce uh, to change the brain. So if in, in the research of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, especially uh, that done by Jeffrey Swartz, for example, you come to similar conclusions that if you train your mind, you can train your brain, right? But if you don't train your mind, then there's a possibility that the brain actually tells you what to do. So in that way, there's a correlation between a physical brain and what we actually call consciousness within the Buddhist context. It's not physical, it's not matter, although it has a correlation with matter. So we can measure the correlation or the, you know, the interaction, so to say, but consciousness itself is still quite of a question mark in, 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 in modern science. We totally agree. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the, when we talk about the mind-brain relationship, I think the, the brain has a facilitating function or an interface function or even a filter function. So uh, consciousness itself, the higher aspects of consciousness, enhanced consciousness is beyond time and beyond space. There's no beginning, has no end. And for me also, consciousness is fundamental in the universe, like information and energy. And the brain is just a receiving and a transmitting instrument. So it transmits information from your senses and your body into your consciousness. And you receive information from your consciousness into your brain and body. The consciousness, what we think and what we feel, we cannot measure, we cannot objectify, we cannot duplicate, we cannot falsify. This consciousness, what we feel and what we think is beyond our current materialist science. So we have to change science as well. We have to expand science into the what we call the post-materialist science to include subjective experiences so we can we are able to study consciousness in all its aspects yes yeah, so i like the term uh, non-locality in general but also in relation with consciousness because what we say in buddhism consciousness is not matter it's not physical so it doesn't have any location as such so in, in buddhism we talk about that more coarser forms of consciousness and in particular sensory perceptions of ordinary sensory perceptions, they are very much related with the physical brain and the physical body. But the more subtle consciousness becomes, the less dependence it seems to indicate in the Buddhist scriptures. And in a similar way, we see that in, in, in the findings in, in uh, uh, Dr. Bim van Lohman uh, had written quite clearly about that in the near-death experience, that we see a subtler form of consciousness because according to the Buddhist interpretation and when you die the the, the course forms of consciousness they they seem to kind of um, become dormant and and actually uh, the consciousness becomes more and more subtle same as you fall asleep and and have, have a dream consciousness for example so that's very interesting to see the more subtler the mind becomes probably the less dependence on on, on actually the physical brain that's exactly what we found in the, the scientific research on the death experience not only our or Dutch study, which involved 344 consecutive survivors of cardiac arrest in 10 Dutch hospitals. And we found that 18% of those patients had a classical near-death experience with all the um, universal elements like uh, being aware of being dead, uh, out-of-body experiences, uh, internal experience, meeting disease relatives, being a, meeting a being of light, uh, experience unconditional love, and universal wisdom coming to a border and then 
consciousness coming back into, into the body. And during that period, you could have a life review or flash forward as well. So you have all aspects of consciousness. And you have, a, let's say, the cardiac arrest of two or five minutes, and you can talk for weeks about it, because everything happens at the same moment. When you concentrate about some event in the past, you will be there. And not only each deed or each word, but also each thought you ever had is kept and has influence on yourself and others as well. So this kind of aspect makes it very intriguing that consciousness is not dependent on brain function in those circumstances as well. So my definition of science is asking questions with an open mind. I forget what you've learned, forget your concepts. Don't have a tunnel vision. But, but look what is happening and try to find an explanation. The Buddha himself said, don't accept you venerable scholars. Don't accept what I say out of respect for me because I'm a very well-known person. But you should examine what I say. You know, check it out like you examine gold or precious substance to break it down and, 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 and melt it or, or whatever possible way of, of, of an analytical approach you have. You should examine and question. Yeah. Is there any sense of an explanation, <clears throat> a scientific explanation for being able to form memories when the brain isn't working or to have sense experiences when the you know, sensory uh, mechanisms of the body aren't functioning? Is it too early to ask these questions? Are we, are we just at the point that we're observing that this is happening, but we don't know how? Or, or is there some explanation or theory? According to materialist science, then we believe that, that memories are produced by the brain and localized in the brain. Now we know because of this scientific research on survival of critical rest that when the brain does not function, people have memories from early childhood, many more memories they ever had during their waking consciousness. And they also feel connected with the consciousness of others in the past as well. So it's also why in the death experience is called the experience of oneness. You connected with everybody and everyone. And also you connected with the memories from early childhood. And also you have you flash forward with a memory from the future as well. So you have access to this kind of uh, memories because in this non-local realm, everything is available. Memories are not produced nor localized in the brain, but you can when you are back in your body, then it comes back a little bit. But let's say the, 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 uh, the wisdom you had, the knowledge you had about quantum physics, whatever, you said in the end, you said, oh, this is so simple to understand, but you're back in your body, you don't remember anymore. So your, your, your brain is also the filter. You don't remember everything, what you really experienced during the end. Aaron Schrodinger, he came to a very interesting quote in his, in yeah. his book, What is Life, saying information is present and stored in, in, in wave functions in a non-local space and therefore uh, non-locally uh, accessible. When we talk about information uh, in the Buddhist context, we have advanced forms of consciousness that can know things, right? And that you previous could not know. Or, or you were limited in your in your development whatsoever. So that means that previously that knowledge was it's not that knowledge was not present. That knowledge was present, but we just didn't know. Or what you just now indicated that people in an NDE, uh, they or an out of the body experience, they have a subtle consciousness, then have much more 
clear perception, then they come back and then the brain causes kind of a filter or, or it's, it becomes kind of uh, more difficult to have a similar kind of perception. So that means that a trained mind, as we indicate in Buddhist uh, psychology, a trained mind can generate, even with the physical brain and with the physical body we have, we can still generate subtle forms of consciousness and generate these kind of higher levels of perception. Yeah? So that doesn't mean that the information uh, we know is not there when you don't know it. That quotation of, of Aaron Schrodinger is, is very interesting, that the information is present, is stored in the kind of a wave function and in a non-local space, which is non-locally uh, accessible, which is very, very Buddhist in one way, because we talk about consciousness not being non-local, and also the information or knowledge doesn't always have to be matter, doesn't always have to be something physical. That can also be in, in other forms of categories of mind or what we call non-associated compositional factors, kind of uh, as aspects of, of reality, or aspects of phenomena that is not actually the physical matter as such, but can be known by, 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 by developed levels of consciousness. So it's also for, for everything is already there in the highest, higher aspects of consciousness. We call when a scientist like Einstein had a flash of insight about E's and C or, or the, the C6 uh, molecule, etc. All comes as a flash of insight from the higher dimension of consciousness. And then you have to put it into words in this physical world, which is not easy at all. But everything is already there. Consciousness is primary. Consciousness is fundamental. And what we perceive here in this physical world is dependent of our state of consciousness. And maybe change the state of consciousness, we change the world as well. Plato wrote 2,500 years ago that the body is this temporary carrier of the soul, which is eternal. And he writes about a classical, the death experience of the soul, the earth as well. It has been known in all times, in all religions, in all cultures, these kind of experiences, because enhanced consciousness has always been there, has always been experienced. And interesting to, to say that about Plato, because in the Visions from Air, there's a very interesting uh, statement there as well, that when uh, you leave the, the, the physical body, then there's seven days before you actually again go to the mortal life. That's what it says. And if we study things in the Abhidharma scriptures, we also talk about the same period of seven days. Mm. And in the, in the Jewish kind of tradition, when you have the seven days of, 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 of mourning called, called Shiva, it's very interesting that we come to similar kind of periods and, and we talk about similar types of, of consciousness at the time of death and beyond. Yeah, it's very interesting. The, Dr. Van Lommel, there's, you also talk about and write about people who are transformed by near-death experiences, <clears throat> that when people come back from these experiences, there's very often a, a greater sense of purpose, greater love, greater acceptance, and so on. Could you talk a little bit about that? So far, we've just talked about this as a kind of, you know, an interesting, fascinating phenomenon of the continuity of consciousness. But can you talk a little bit about how we're transformed by near-death experiences? I think when the transformation that proves objectively that there was a subjective experience. So that's what we did in a longitudinal study that interviews two and eight years after the cardiac arrest. We found that only patient with an had this classical transformation which is no fear of death anymore. They're convinced of a continuity of consciousness. Uh, they, they, they call an afterlife. 
And the second is in your insight of what's important in life. It's an insight experience as well. It's not just an, uh, yeah, definitely it's an insight experience. What is important in life? And that is, first of all, to have unconditional love and empathy and compassion toward yourself. Accept yourself, accept your negative aspects we all have. And then accept that unconditional love towards others because you're connected with everybody else. And you're connected with nature, with animals, with plants, with the planet Earth as well. So they are connected and they feel connected as well. That's what we might just call the experience of oneness. External aspects of life, like say a big car, beautiful house, uh, young body, clothes, is less important. It's not about money anymore. It's about giving love to others. And what they experience in their life review as well, this see again or relive again how they gave love or didn't give love at all. So it's a confrontation of how you live. It's never a combination, it is a kind of insight. The problem is that the transformation is not well known and not well expected in the Western world. I always, as a joke, so when you have a near-death experience in the Western world, um, it's a, a, a spiritual trauma. You have years of depression, homesickness, and loneliness, because you cannot talk about it, you cannot share it with others, nobody will believe you. When you live in India, you will have congratulations with your experience. So the different aspects of the society is so important. So a near-death experience has usually a positive aspect, but the after effects are negative, are a lot of work, it takes years to share it with others and to accept it, and it takes years again to integrate it, to change the way you live. Beautiful, the content of reality, but to be back in your body in this Western society, materialist society, it's hard. Uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, we meditate on the death process, you know, sometimes every day, sometimes multiple times a day, um, maybe for some of these same reasons or same, similar benefits. Can you talk a little bit about that? So if you accept death and impermanence, then you have less fear for it. As one aspect. And another aspect is motivates ourselves and into to thinking how to make life more valuable and more and more richer, so to say. You know, if we really want to have transformation, we 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 have to do something, we have to put some effort in in in, in the mind, and it's possible to change. We have seen in, in the research of these Olympic meditators that uh, it seems to work. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there are, there are different methods. And it's not only Buddhism, right? There's many other forms of religion and faith that produce very similar results and, and very similar methodologies. Uh, but in, in modern Western culture, I think there's still a great need to, to, to see these kind of rich cultures of spirituality, so to say. And we can present that in a very universal or, or secular way. It doesn't have to be called Buddhism or Hinduism whatsoever, but just use the techniques and that can bring uh, can bring great benefit, I think, yeah. But I'm positive for the future. I think the younger generation is much more open for change, much more open for changing the consciousness. So the younger generation is, we have, I think, I'm positive, but it creates a lot of work as well. And, and they use life as a learning experience as well.